Welcome to How I Grew My Practice, the podcast where health professionals share the behind the scenes stories of how they built a thriving practice. Each episode will uncover surprising challenges, victories, and life lessons learned throughout their journeys. Let's get started. Welcome to How I Grew My Practice, a podcast presented by NextHealth. I'm your host, Alec Goldman. In this episode, we have Gil Messer, COO of the Dermatology Specialist here in New York to discuss expanding access to anyone with skin. Gil, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, discuss uh, expansion of access and how we've done that with NextHealth over the years. Uh, well, we're really excited to have you here. Um, for the folks in the audience who do not know you, Gil, if you don't mind just uh, sharing a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in the seat that you're in uh, with the dermatology specialists. Sure, happy to. So I, uh, I've been in healthcare most of my career post-college, uh, and I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Dr. Rich Park, uh, who founded CityMD Urgent Care. And CityMD had this mission to, to really provide access to the single mom with two kids and working two jobs and had nowhere else but the emergency room, as well as the mother on the Upper East Side who was a stay-at-home that had help, et cetera. So everybody that needed help. And, and we grew that. For, I joined them around 30-something sites to 123 sites. And I never thought I'd probably work in, in, uh, in another private practice again because there weren't many that were focused on serving all patients. Um, and expanding access. And then I was fortunate enough to meet Dr. Bobby Buka, who had at the time 13 dermatology clinics in New York. And I joined on as the CEO, and we leveraged a lot of the experience from CityMD to rapidly expand and become the largest dermatological provider in New York City area with now 40 plus sites um, and seeing north of 2,000 patients a day. That's uh, quite impressive. Um... I know the last time we spoke, like just hearing those numbers and from your origin story of when you guys started and all the way to where you guys are now. So congrats. It's really exciting stuff. Um, so, you know, when we talk about expanding access to anyone that's with skin, right? Like talking about the dermatology specialist mission, but what does that mean to you and your organization and why is it such an essential focus uh, to what you guys are doing? Yeah, I think there's a unique stat out there that talks about if you need to see a dermatologist uh, for medical derm, the average wait time is about 22 days. If you need to see them for Botox, it's four days. That's a huge issue. Rashes, skin issues don't have a 22 day wait period. Um, and so what we focus on is the, the ability to meet that demand for every New Yorker for every ethnicity, for every gender. So, you know, we are heavily populated in areas that are traditionally underserved from the Bronx uh, through parts of Brooklyn, Queens, as well as areas that are potentially quite overserved and like Upper East Side, uh, Upper West Side, et cetera. And so we view it as that if you have a skin issue, you should be able to receive high quality care that matches your schedule in a timely manner, and it shouldn't be based on your social economic status. A lot of people in dermatology focus on being on the third or fourth floor, only accept cash pay or commercial insurance. And that leaves a large group of New Yorkers un uh, uh, without access to uh, derm care. And, and we are really trying to break that mold. Uh, we also believe in extended hours are people work late. People can't get out of work because they're hourly patient uh, employees at times. 
So we have extended hours. We usually open from eight to six or nine to seven in most of our locations, as well being open seven days a week. And we'll go, we go even further than that. We're actually open 365 days. So during major federal holidays, while we have reduced sites, we have at least one or more sites open in every borough for people because there are emergent skin issues and we are here to serve the community. Um, and so we will be open 360, we're open 365 days um, with extended hours to meet that, uh, meet the patient's need for access to high quality care. It almost sounds intuitive. Like why, why would it be such a delay to get seen for something as important as your skin? And it's really exciting to hear that as a New Yorker, um, that this opportunity for me to be able to be seen much faster, I guess, specifically as a redhead, right. Um, has the opportunity to, to be seen faster. Um, but can you discuss why, why, have there historically before your organization has kind of like changed this? Why have there been such high barriers uh, for dermatology to be providing better care? And could you talk about perhaps a little bit about the private equity angle and how it's enabled your scale to not just uh, grow the organization, but grow it in a way that's providing much, much better care? Yeah, absolutely. So I think broadly speaking, derm is restricted by the number of dermatologists you have. And so nationwide produces right around 500 new dermatologists a year. Um, the residency size program has not expanded that much over the years. And at the same time, our population has expanded, gotten older with longer experiences of being in the sun, which means more skin related issues. So the demand is increasing, but the supply of traditional dermatologists has stayed flat over the period of time. And so one to do that is you have to develop a strong mid-level support to be able to manage um, the demand. And so we've been very fortunate to have a very comprehensive fellowship program where we bring in experience uh, PAs and MPs that go through an intensive four-month, 50-hour-a-week training program um, for four months straight. And they rotate with our doctors and learn everything from surgical to uh, procedures through general derm and acne. And, um, you know, we're fortunate enough that there's, we get about 200 uh, applicants for each fellowship spot that we open. Um, and so we were able to build out a very strong core training program that allows us to supplement our dermatologists and enable us to have those extended hours and those weekends. But additionally, I think you look at these, the reimbursement structure um, has made it untenable for some dermatologists to treat every patient, even though they want to. Um, some of the managed Medicaid's and Medicare Advantage plans, the reimbursement would be considered um, not sufficient enough uh, to build an office in a certain area and recoup that cost in a timely manner. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have great financial backers being, uh, that is a private equity firm that has provided us access to capital, where we have been able to go in traditionally underserved areas knowing that it will be predominantly a managed Medicaid at a lower reimbursement rate, that while their demand is there, the, the revenue is not the same. And so it's going to take a longer period of time to recoup that investment. And it's a multi-million dollar investment opening each site and in some of these areas. And uh, without that backing, we wouldn't be able to do it. And a lot of dermatologists are single or double practices, and they don't have that access to capital and can't make that, that multi-year investment. And so 
you know, I do think there's a lot of positives of having a great financial backer that believes in your mission uh, to serve all New Yorkers with skin and are able to provide those financial resources. And it's probably a little taboo, private equity and, and healthcare, but I think it's gotten a lot of a bad rap. Um, you'll see that CityMD was able to serve so many New Yorkers and people in New Jersey, et cetera, um, because of the backing that we had in that place as well through private equity. Um, it's almost like it's your partner. Who's, it's, if you choose the right partner, it's a great experience. If you choose the wrong partner, it can be bad for the providers and the patients. That's also no different than nonprofits. And there's several providers and staff members that have worked in nonprofits that had terrible experiences. And then they worked at other nonprofit hospitals that had great experiences. So I don't think it's really private equity um, dependent. It's really about who's the right partner, be it for profit or not for profit. Yeah. And, you know, I know that this is something we spoke about, but it is at some level, it's a little strange that the private equity like taboo exists when really, to your point, it's just about finding somebody who believes in your mission, what you're doing. There's lots of good people in any industry uh, and one, you know, to to promote and support all of New Yorkers getting immediate access uh, to skincare. Can you talk a little bit about how technology is helping you find the right new locations and how technology is helping you increase the total number of appointments seen at each of those locations. Yeah. So I think it's a mix of technology and location. So we realize that we serve a broad segment of the population. Um, and that broad segment ranges from their technology access and comfort level to uh, being very high to being very limited. And so we put our all of our locations, I think it starts with locations, which is not technology driven. Identifying those locations is actually very technology driven. We have um, a not fully AI, but a predictive analysis of what location would be perfect from all of our experience at other locations. So first we identify the area using technology that we think is going to be great. We then put that in a retail based location for access with great signage and near, uh, near public access uh, transportation. So for the patient that is just walking by that has an issue that needs to be addressed, they see us, they're able to walk right in. Also, that's people that are a lot of times that is uh, everybody, uh, regardless of age range. But it's also in certain neighborhoods, a lot of the older population, they pop in. What's this new in the area? Oh, you take my insurance. Oh, you have these hours. Oh, I can join. So it starts with technology identifying the spot. And then for the rest of the population, technology really drives our booking. So we partner with Next Health to drive our online scheduling. Um, it allows uh, our patients to be able to identify where they are see all of our providers availability, see uh, and see who they're going to see and choose the time that works for them best. Additionally, they're able, they get the uh, active communication. We know with life, things change, especially in New York, life can change on a dime where everyone's busy. Um, so, you know, if the appointment doesn't work for you, you're able to text back, cancel your appointment, text back, rebook your appointment, et cetera. So we're really focused on being able to drive an online experience. And we're very close to uh, rolling out a, a secondary partnership with TrueLark, uh, which leverages Next Health as well to enable further text-based appointment and uh, communication uh, resolutions. 
Then we have also have a robust call center that it has extended hours and works 365 to be able to take online bookings and answer your questions. So we try to really couple it from location and hours and the walk-in to the more traditional phone base to the more modern um, web base and to the most current, which will be text-based. And so we hit every mode of, of technology to drive bookings, but also to drive the access. How are you guys leveraging kind of the standardization of technology to measure each of the locations and understanding what's working from location to location across the organization? Yeah, so I think one of our secret successes is that we've actually standardized the schedules across all providers um, at all locations. So having that standardization allows you to maximize the schedule um, and see the most uh, or support and access the most patients uh, in a day. And so what we're able to measure is, is really, we'll see that certain locations are a younger population and they are going to book within 36 hours tops. And so those are the sites that you're going to see rapid climb in a very short period. I mean, there's one of our sites that is a very young, just moved to New York uh, neighborhood. And I kid you not, that site will get about 80% of the bookings from 6 p.m until 4 a.m. the day before. Then we see in more traditional, more uh, neighborhoods where you have more developed families with older kids, et cetera, and that booking is gonna really be one to two weeks out. And so we obviously display one to two weeks out, et cetera. And so, um, and then we also realize where we know there's a high walk-in rate and a high no-show rate we are able to double, triple book in those spaces because we know there's going to be a high cancellation. So that single, that three slots is actually going to become one using predictive analysis. And then we also, sometimes we know huge walk-in volume, that schedule starts, we might cap that schedule at 35 patients, knowing that 10 to 15 are going to walk in at the same day. So our schedules will tell us a lot about the patients that we're going to see, but also tell us how we need to design our operations. And then we're, we're able to leverage our scheduling software to be able to uh, match that. And so it has seamless operations. That's really cool how you guys are learning so much about, I guess, the uh, demographic of each location and how that affects uh, how people book and when people book. It's unique. Uh, it's, uh, it, you know, I think I've been in healthcare now for 12, 15 years, I think close to 15 years. And everyone says, oh, my site is unique. Um, it's really funny when you see the data that while sites are unique-ish, you have big groups that are very comparative. So I can now launch a new site and with 99% accuracy tell you how busy it is, what's the ramp time, what's the patient insurance mix going to be, et cetera. So they're not as unique as uh, we used to always think. They're very much uh, groupings into certain type of groups that we can then set, tell you what's going to happen. And we're pretty much right. So it's uh, it's kind of really cool. But it was one of those things that you couldn't have done five years ago because the technology didn't really exist. That's really specifically, I guess, can you talk a little bit more about the types of groupings that you see? Yeah, so I mean, there we factor in about I think it's fourteen different uh, social economic indicators that will tell us the patient population and volume that we're going to see, 
and then in a certain neighborhood, and then you lay in the exact spot, then we know the foot traffic, et cetera. So we're able to use a foot a traffic data as well to drive it to then be able to predict what's the patient's volume gonna be, how many walk-ins are gonna be, what's the insurance mix, uh, et cetera. And then we're also able to say, hey, even though this site might be in Queens, all the socioeconomic data, location, foot traffic looks like a site that might be in another area of Brooklyn. So this is likely a pair. And then we're over to lay the ramp by that old site to this site. And you'll see the line basically hover the exact same way. And so that's, I think we use the 16, the 16 main indicators and you overlay it. You can then really pick out what site looks like what site and then know what it's gonna do in the future. Just for folks uh, on the show, I'm not sure if you mentioned exactly the number, but how many locations is uh, Derm Specialist at now? Right now we're at 40 uh, open and we'll finish this year with anywhere from 42 to 44. Um, and uh, the next year we'll be pushing close to 60. Big jump. Yeah, it's been fun. Sounds like at a lot of scale. Um, what are innovations that, you know, Durham specialists, uh, your organization are looking into that you think is really going to help you guys scale to attain that speed? I think a lot of it is behind the scenes around our operational reporting. Uh, we are working on, we know we've gotten down a predictive analysis now of knowing what a ramp is going to be, the volume. We're able to now do staffing models based on that volume to make sure we have the right staffing at each site. So the right staffing at the right time um, and make sure that it ensures that the patients have a great experience, that the providers are supported and that we are not scrambling at the last minute to fill space, et cetera, and to run a um, operationally uh, efficient business. The next phase, I think of that as expansion on it, it's where we're able to take common denials and be able to say, okay, we know this denial came in. It was tied to this person due to this reason. So we're working on operational dashboards to really go back just to the individual level because we, you can only do so much on broad training. I think we have a very strong, a strong foundation when it comes to uh, broad training. They, we have a whole skin academy, which ranges to at minimum two weeks of training before you hit the sites. But what we see is that they, you know, that gets you to 85, 90% where they need to be. And then each unique person makes the same mistake over and over again. And so it's being able to capture that, draw, present that um, to the manager in a timely manner and enable that manager to understand what it's showing and to then retrain that person to empower them so they don't make those mistakes going forward. Nine out of 10 times, that person doesn't realize they're making that mistake and it's just retraining that you fix it. So it's really about bringing uh, those small things behind the scene forward. It's gonna also be with some of our payments. How do we able to present predictive to the patient ahead of visit? What's the cost gonna be? Provide them the options to prepay it. Maybe that payment's a buy now, pay later. Maybe it's pre-setting up a payment plan with us. Maybe it's all up at front. Um, maybe it's wait till the, everything runs through insurance and then see if that prediction was accurate. It's, it's enabling better patient experience for convenience on pain. We've already launched text to pay um, post visit, but there are other ways that we can uh, online chat, better portal to enable payments um, for them as well and questions 
refills, et cetera. So it's going to be more around the back end and not necessarily as much patient facing that's going to drive a better experience for our providers, our employees, and most importantly, our patients. Sounds though that the amount of measurement you're doing is certainly a way to not lead into like an overextension or dilution of the core values and the quality of service that people would expect. 100%. I think that's the, while it seems like we've ramped very quickly, you could make an argument that we haven't ramped as quickly as other businesses that are seeking this demand because of that quality. You know, we, we maintain a very strict internal ratio of what the clinical quality must be at each site, how many MDDO days must be at each site, what's the oversight of, of anyone that's not an MD or DO. The, we run a significant number of reviews for each one of our supervised mid-levels. Their, their supervising provider has to review a high number um, uh, of, well, they have to review every one of the charts before they're signed off, but then they go into a deep dive, a clinical review on each on several of their charts per week. They do quarterly reviews of overall performance, annual reviews, and the same with our site staff. Um, so I think we've actually held back uh, growth in some points because we are more conservative uh, and want to ensure that if uh, that we don't dilute the quality by opening one additional site. So we will rather book, uh, get a lease, build out a site, and then hold. I have several sites that I'm not opening until next year because I don't think opening it's right this year. Without That's why I said earlier we were at 42 to 44 because we're going to really make the determination. Do we open the additional ones based on uh, the decision if it would dilute any quality? And if it does, the answer is simple. We don't open. We wait until that the, the staff is prepared that we have the right quality and the right mix of providers to ensure that we maintain that high quality uh, experience and clinical care that we try to maintain at every single site. I think it's, you know, going back to what we were discussing with uh, the taboo around private equity, you can imagine that there's tons of private equity shops who are pushing for growth and return on dollars. So it's really so important to find the right partners who understand the patients where you know, you're not sacrificing brand quality and telling them, here's our roadmap to ensure that, you know, our brand remains our brand year over year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I, I don't, and maybe I'm just fortunate enough and I worked with several private equity groups um, in the past. I don't think, I don't know any of them that are willing to sacrifice clinical quality for growth because they know they made a major investment and that major investment they know is at risk if they start dropping clinical quality. So, so they will push for operational optimization. Maybe there is waste and labor that could be avoided um, or unnecessary waste of supplies or things like that that can be improved or, or maximizing existing um, staff's availability. But I don't view them as anyone that would find sacrificing quality for growth as an acceptable outcome, be that in nonprofit or for profit side, because one, we're in healthcare for a reason. Um, no one goes into healthcare because they're looking to make money. The first reason they go in is to take care of patients. Um, and second of all, is if you are a for-profit backed uh, company, they made a major investment in you and the only way to, to recognize and get, realize that return that they're seeking is to maintain that quality um, even if it takes a year longer than they anticipated. Which totally makes sense. Um, if you sacrifice your brand, you know, 
obviously long term you're really hurt you're damaging what would inevitably be your revenue anyway um so just optimizing for short term over long term or long term over short term and you really got to be playing the game especially the one that you guys are playing which is you want to i'm sure at some point hundreds of locations um so without that brand promise staying in place and that reputation scaling from location to location like that's 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 what that's all you guys you know that's what you have that's what the organization has exactly um Closing thoughts. We are just over the 20, 20, almost the 25 minutes. Um, for other healthcare providers, uh, dermatology practices looking to broaden their reach, um, I guess what would be your parting device or parting advice here, um, just based off your experience growing derm specialists to the you know almost 50 locations that you guys have now? Yeah, patients don't live in a nine to four environment your key operating hours are their key working hours as well. Um, we see that even more as there's been massive inflation, et cetera. And so you have to meet your patients where their need is. There are a lot of options out there and patients will self-select um, if they have to choose between changing providers or losing revenue for themselves and have to take time off work, be it unpaid or paid. A lot of times they'll switch. So meet your patient where they are with your hours, but also meet your patient where they are from when they're trying to communicate with you or book with you. Um, putting an online request form that lets you someone fill it out and ask for an appointment time, um, you know, isn't really online scheduling. Patients see that they're usually moving on. Uh, similar if it's only a phone call available and then you call five times and can't get through, they're going to call another phone numbers. So really moving the environment from where, uh, and moving the environment from, from where, Hey, the patient just has to match what we, uh, what we tell them to the environment was, Hey, we have to match what the patient is telling us environment has enabled us to be, uh, successful and continue to grow. Gil, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I know I'll be seeing you, uh, in the next month in person, Long Island city. So excited for that. Um, but thank you so much for sharing all the success that you guys are doing with, uh, that you're doing with Derm Specialist and uh, just giving your thoughts to the audience who are listening on the show. Thank you for having me. And it's always a pleasure to connect. Um, talk to you soon. Thanks, Gil.